destruction. And it was fitting that we sing the song, you are good all the time, all the time, you are good. It just kind of goes on and on and on and on and on. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And of all the uh, weeks in the series, this is by far the hardest one for me to try to get across. Because basically what we're going to be talking about is God and who he is and why he's worthy of worship and kind of what's been going on with uh, the, the Israelites in rebuilding the wall. And so uh, we're in a series called Under Construction and the idea is that every single one of us in one way or another is under construction. God has put a vision in our lives of who we can be, of, of, of where, we're, where, we, where we could be and, and, and he has his vision which is perfect and he knows how we were created. He knows what we were created for. And we have where we are currently. And so what we've been talking about is this idea that our lives kind of model uh, the Israelites. And that God had a, had a vision for his chosen people, Israel. That they would be in a, um, a land flowing with milk and honey. That they would follow after his word. And that they would be prosperous. And they would uh, be entering into relationship with him and that all the nations around would see this and they would say, what is going on with this, these, these people's God? The whole purpose of relationship with, with Israel was that God would be displayed throughout the nations. And in the same way, this is our relationship with Jesus, is that when we apply what God is trying to teach us, when we look at kind of where we are and where he wants us to be, and we begin to follow that path to becoming who God wants us to be, that God is glorified. And he is worthy of being glorified. He is worthy of all the attention. And so when we sing, you are good all the time, and all the time you're good, and man, we just can't explain it enough of how good he is and just how long he's been good and how long he will always be good. And so that's the frustration I had this morning and throughout the week as I began to kind of look at this idea of Nehemiah. We've been talking about the walls, and what we've been saying is when these walls are torn down, um, we, we just leave our life open to destruction. And so we've been talking about building the walls in our lives and, and that these walls are built on the foundation of God's word and on the foundation of eternal principles that do not change. And so those walls get created in our lives, and then we hang these gates upon those truths. And so uh, uh, we have a gate of our sexuality that is hung on these biblical principles, on these truths that we hang this gate of sexuality. And so that door opens and closes according to how, how well it opens and closes is, and how well it sta- stands up over time is based on how well we've established that on God's principles. And so uh, that our sexuality, I mean, again, not, not to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but that door opens, we allow our spouse in, and it closes, and then life takes place after that's happened. We don't sit up to the gate, we don't open it. It's not like a saloon where we kick it open and it swings and everybody comes in and everybody goes out. God has established that. Same with our finances. There's a financial gate that we establish that we set on the truths of Scripture. And God doesn't want us all caught up in debt. He doesn't want us worshiping things. 
He doesn't want us uh, living beyond our means. And so wherever we're at in life, we take these biblical truths of giving and of not being, uh, making money a God. And the, the idea is not a, a firm financial gate isn't a wise investment strategy or a good retirement plan. It's living within the, the principles that God has set out. And same goes with the relationship gate and our ministry gate and all these different areas. The idea of the wall is to provide privacy, security, and opportunity. And this is what we've been talking about over the weeks. But then last week, we kind of started to hit on something different. That, that maybe it wasn't about the wall completely. And so what we did is we focused on the gates. And if you want to show kind of Jerusalem up here, uh, we've got this outline. It looks like a New York strip stake. And, uh, and, and so there it is. And the temple's in, in the middle there. And, and so... It, we have these gates, the horse gate and east gate, fish gate, all these types of things. But the idea, what we, what we saw last week was that once the wall was built and the gates were set in place, it says the city was spacious and nobody was living inside. And we talked about you can work on your spiritual life all day long, all week long, your entire life and get it looking real pretty. But until there's actually life taking place, this relationship with God this why we were really created, we're going to be missing out. And see, the Pharisees had this all figured out. Jesus attacked them for that. They said, look, the outside, it looks all great. You look like a whitewashed tomb. Everything looks fantastic. But inside are dead man's bones. And so we talked about when we get all of our spiritual life all in order and everything looks great and the church service looks the way it's supposed to and our Bible is, has our monogram name on it and everything's good and we got T-shirts and everything and we're all set to go, Jesus said, I don't even accept that. That's, that's legalism. On the flip side, if you have a city that's rocking and there's life in there and it's a party and everything's going great and woo, but there are no walls, that's secularism. And you're, gonna, you're set up for disaster. So we talked about that, that uh, the good life is behind the gates and it was kind of just a play on words. But uh, the idea is, what is the center of that picture? The temple. The temple. And here's, here's your point for this, 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 mo- this morning. The ultimate goal, the ultimate vision is intimacy. The ultimate vision that God has for your life is not just a relationship with him. It's intimacy with the living God. And I don't, I've struggled all week long on how to express this in a way that does it justice, and I just don't think I can but that we serve a God who is good all the time and all the time he's good from generation to generation. He does not change. He's always faithful. He's all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing. He's everywhere. And God wants us to not only just have relationship, but to have intimacy with him. And so when we set up these barriers, when we set up these gates, when we establish our life on the word, it's not just to live holy. That's just a means to an end. The purpose, the glorification happens when we shine like stars in the universe, when we display our God in our lives, that there's an intimate relationship that we wouldn't give up for anything. That's that's where we are right now in Nehemiah. The ultimate vision is intimacy. Now listen, the, the entire book, Nehemiah is a, a funny book because it's, half of it's written in the first person and then the middle part's written in 
the third person, and then it ends in the first person again. And, and uh, what, what's happened is Nehemiah writes the first part, Ezra writes the middle, and then Nehemiah writes the end. It's almost like Ezra took Nehemiah's diaries and then said, oh, you forgot a section, and by inspired by God, he put that section in there. And so that's kind of how it reads. And so where we are now is we're, we're getting into a section that Ezra uh, most likely had written. And so, uh, but this entire book is about Nehemiah's intimate relationship with God that saturates every decision he makes. Every decision he makes is for his God, not for the wall, not for a building project. Not, it's, so that, it's so that God would be glorified through his people because God is worth it. It's just about God and who he is. And in some respects, in a lot of respects, I go through that pendulum in my own spiritual walk of forgetting that it's not about my spiritual walk. It's about God and his greatness and his glorification, his name, his honor. Everything's about him. I just get the luxury of being able to be in the process of this, being able to be in relationship with God. And so um, I just want to point out, there are 17 references to Nehemiah's deep relationship with the Lord, and they're not up behind us. I just want to read some of these. The first starts out in the very beginning of the book. We get a glimpse of Nehemiah's heart for his God. And it says this, it says, Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins, uh, uh, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. Nehemiah starts off with, man, it's not working the way you designed. I, 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 I understand what your heart is and it's not happening the way you deserve, essentially is what Nehemiah is saying. He understands God's greatness. And in some respects, in a lot of respects, I feel like I lose the idea how great God is. And I make it about me and about ministry and about all this other stuff rather than just loving God for who he is, his invisible attributes. And this is Nehemiah got this. So I'm just going to read some of the ways that Nehemiah's faith is displayed in this book. Um, he's talking to other people and he says, listen, the God of, this is in uh, chapter 2, verse 20. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. In chapter 4, verse 4, he says, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Chapter 4, verse 9, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Chapter 4, verse 14, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers. Verse 15 out of chapter uh, 5. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 19. Remember me with favor, oh my God, for all I've done for these people. Chapter 6, verse 9. And I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Verse 14 of chapter 6. Remember Tobiah and Sambalot. Oh my God, because of what they've done. Verse 15, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Chapter 7, verse 2, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander. Why? Why did he do that? Because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most. God, 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 God. Everything's about God's glorification. It goes on. 
verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 5. So my God put on my heart to assemble the nobles. Chapter 13, verse 14. Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out what I have done so faithfully for the house of my God and its servants. Verse 22, then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and to guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. And then he finally ends the chapter, uh, ends the whole book in verse 31, and he says this, remember me with favor, O my God. Now, why does Nehemiah start out with prayer and end with prayer and have prayer all the way through and focus so much on God? Is it because prayer is important? Well, prayer is important. But there's a purpose. The ultimate vision is intimacy. The ultimate vision is to go before my God and say, what do I need to do to grow closer to you? You are so worth everything that I have. You see in Nehemiah, he's, he, he quotes a scripture in, in, in there. And there, there, there's this dedication to scripture. Why? Why does Nehemiah do that? Because scripture speaks of a great God. Prayer speaks to a great God. He can, he can stand up, up under opposition. Why? Because he wants this great legacy of Nehemiah? No, because he's working for a great vision of God to restore his people. He understands the heart of God. There is an intimate relationship that Nehemiah has. It's not about a wall. It's about a great God who over hundreds of years sees his people and says, I want them restored back to where they should be. This is an under construction idea. They're, living, they're not living the way I want them to live. I want them to know me. And so he goes on. So, so here's what happens. Because the wall gets done, and, and after verse 7, we don't hear about the wall anymore. It's like we've been talking about this wall all this time, and gates, and all this kind of stuff. Now that it's there, we're talking about the temple. We're talking about um, uh, relationship. We're talking about uh, church services, and times of the people getting together. We're talking about intimacy. And here's what happens. In chapter 8, basically they get together, and... Um, it says in chapter in verse 1 it says all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded for Israel so on the first day of the seventh month Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand see they're focusing on the word here it says he read it aloud now listen from daybreak till noon, <laughs> he read the book of the law. The boring part of the Bible, actually, okay? This wasn't any New Testament stuff. This wasn't, you know, this was the first five books. This is the one where you, you know how, remember when you decided, I'm going to read the Bible in a year, and you get to like the third book, and you're like, I can't do it, right? That's what they were doing. From daybreak till noon. So, starting today, no, I'm just kidding, right? From daybreak until noon. Now, now listen, listen, it's so important. Why were they able to go from daybreak to noon? The answer is this. They were starving for the word. They didn't have it for hundreds of years. And there's something that happens when the word of God is read, when his principles are talked about, when, when we begin, because it's inspired by God. 
when we, when we read the word, the word of God, we understand the heart of God. And so what happens is, check this out. So they, they read daybreak till noon as he faced the square uh, before the wall in the presence of the men and women and others who, were, who could understand. All the people listened intently to the book of the law. The word of God was finally being spoken again. God's spirit was on the move. And all of a sudden, there began to be a murmur and a vision of, you know what, it could be a lot different than the way it is now. The wall's been replaced. We're here in the temple. We're go- there's starting to be life in the city, and watch what happens. We get to uh, verse 6 of chapter 8. Is that right? Yeah, verse 6. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. They were listening to the word of God, and there was something that was stirring within them. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever had either the word read to you, or you were in a quiet time with you and the Lord, and you're reading it, and there's, there's, a, there's something stirring in you, and you go, Yes, that's right. That's the Spirit of God on the move. That's the beginning, the stirrings of intimacy between you and an almighty God. Your spirit begins to move with his spirit because you and I were created in his image. The ultimate vision is intimacy with our Heavenly Father. It's not about the wall. It's not about religion. It's not about church service here. It's you and your God and an intimate relationship. So they began to say, amen, amen, and they bowed down and worshiped God with their faces to the ground. Okay, they start... Uh, they start, um, they be, start to, to mourn. And then in verse 9, it says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them, This day is sacred to, God, to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of God. It was beginning to really have an impact on them. They listened intently for hours. It says, for, uh, it says, Nehemiah, so, so then uh, you can put up verse 10. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve. Listen, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's something that happens in an intimate relationship. I don't know if, you, if any of you have kids or a spouse, or something where there be, there's a relation, there's a connectedness that is supernatural. Maybe it's a dear friend. I mean, maybe when you hear their voice, there's something that the Spirit of God stirs in you. There's something that happens. There's something that happens even more so at a deeper level when it's God. And He begins to move. Do you remember times in your life when you had that more than others? Do you long for times like that now with your God? And so He says, Basically, let's have a party. So all the people get together, and it's, it's like, a, it, basically it overflows into community, which is exactly what happens with deep relationship uh, with God, with an intimate relationship with God. It spills over into community. And so that begins to have a bigger and bigger impact. It goes, uh, so the people went away they, to eat and drink and send portions of food and celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They began to hear his word. The spirit began to move and they began to act upon it. 
And when you do that, when I do that, when the Spirit moves and I read His Word and I say, Amen, Amen, and I, and I begin to act on it, that's when th- that my relationship with God grows. All this has to happen while the walls are maintained in my life. See, oftentimes we leave the walls in disrepair. We go and we say, God, what's going on? And God's going, you've got to repair that wall. Or, or my, the time with me is going to be for nothing. It's going to be destroyed. Repair the wall. And then when we do, real intimacy can take place. Now I want to show you what happens in verse 14 of chapter 8. It's just incredible. In my Bible, there's an arrow that goes from the beginning of, um, of verse 14 down to the beginning of verse 16 because there's a connection there. It says this. They found written in the law. Okay, so here, here they are. They've been hundreds of years without the word. And then, and then Ezra starts to read the, the, the word of God, and there's something that happens when the word of God is read to receptive hearts. It just begins to stir. It says, they found written in the law. That's verse 14. And then verse 16 starts this. So the people went. They read something. They did something. See, this is one of the keys to intimacy. I read something, I do something. And the New Testament has a couple ways of, of saying this. One of the ways they, the New Testament says this is, if you have faith and no works, your faith is dead. In other words, if you just believe, that's great, but you've got to do something about it. Okay, another place it says, you, you can't just be a hearer of the word, you have to be an effective doer of the word. I mean, this principle, this godly principle of hearing and doing is all throughout Scripture. Okay, uh, Jesus said the Pharisees, they have ears to hear, but they don't, under, they don't hear. They have eyes, but they don't see. Okay, and so this, this scripture goes through. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded, and so they went. Now, what did they do? Well, here's what they found written in the law. That the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Now, if you read back in the beginning of chapter 8, we're in the seventh month. So this is what's happening in real time. They're sitting there. It's day, you know, the... Sun, you know, sun starts to come up, right? And Ezra starts with, starts with the word. And he's going, and they get to a section of the word that says, hey, in the seventh month, this is what we want you to do. And one dude's sitting there, and he looks at his watch, which is just a stone with a, you know, a little thing. And he looks, and he goes, isn't this the seventh month? And they go, yeah, I think it is the seventh month. Hey, Ezra, can you read that again? What did that say? And Ezra goes back, it's the seventh month. Isn't it the seventh month? Yeah. So here's what happens. During the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim his word and spread it throughout their towns in Jerusalem, go out in the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make booths. So what do they do? They just go do it. Here they are, hundreds of years without the word. That word comes, their heart begins to stir. They're reading it, and they say, wait, what was that? The seventh month? Read that part again. They read it. Yeah, we're supposed to all go out and make booths so we can commemorate what God did. Well, let's do it. So they just drop everything, and they do it. Now imagine what we would look like as a people, what I'd look like as a pastor, what we'd look like as a community if we read something in the Word and we just went out and did it. We didn't try to make excuses. We didn't go, well, that was back. And See, you have to understand uh, what God meant was this. Now watch. They go ahead and they do it. So the people went out. This is uh, in verse 16. I think I have it up here. Yeah, so the people went out 
And they brought back branches and built themselves booths on their, listen to this, listen, imagine this community, okay? They built uh, booths on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, in the square, by the water gate, and in, uh, in the, uh, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. Now, now listen, so what's the point? The word says it, they did it. What's, what's the point? Intimacy with God. Watch what happens. It says, from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this. This was something new. They, they, they applied the word of God, and watch what happens. And their joy was very great. That is an intimate relationship with Almighty God. There is nothing that can shake that joy. Why? Because we serve a great, great God whose ultimate vision for our lives is intimacy with Him. The ultimate vision that God has for our lives is that we would forsake all other things, anything that gets in the way, that we we build our lives on the foundation of the Word, not just to be super spiritual, I would even to sub- submit to you that getting rid of our sin is not the ultimate thing in our life. I think we've made it that. But glor- that's just a means by which we glorify a great and mighty God. We're holy. Why? Because He's holy. That's the reason. That's the goal. That's the ultimate vision. Intimacy. So it goes on. They have this great, their joy is very great. Well, then we get to chapter 9, okay? And it says this, On the 24th day of the same month, so a few weeks later, the Israelites gathered together. Now what are they doing? This is so awesome. Don't miss this. Now they're fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were and, listen, read the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. What's happening now? Now they're reading the word of God and they're beginning to see, my life does not measure up to this. You wanted me to do what? You wanted me to, I don't, okay, wait a minute, I got this great God, this awesome God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, who's uh, always been faithful, who's, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. He always takes care of his people. He's always merciful. He's always just. He's always right. He's without sin. He's invisible. He's everywhere. And now I'm reading and I'm falling, coming up short. And now there's a new level of intimacy. Mourning and weeping and fasting and saying, God, you're too good. You're too good for me. And that's when the God of mercy comes in and says, I know, but my vision is that we would have a relationship unlike anything we've ever imagined. This is the vision of Nehemiah. This is the ultimate vision, intimacy. And this is what I've struggled with all week long. How do I take it to the next level, not because my Christianity's calling me to do it, 
but that I might experience more of a great God. I might be able to have a level of intimacy with God maybe that I've never experienced before. How do I do that? Uh, I don't know if you've read the book Crazy Love by Francis Chan. A very popular book right now. Um, And he wrote it, and this is basically the concept. It's just like, We've forgotten how to worship. We've, I mean, we've, for, we've missed out on really who God is. Well, well Francis Chan wrote this book and it sold all this stuff, and just a couple of days ago, he leaves the ministry. Right? Now, when you hear of a pastor leaving the ministry, there's one of two things, either uh, sexual immorality or he stole a bunch of money. Okay? So, okay, so you're just like, oh, no, Francis Chan left the ministry. No, here's the thing. This is what he, he claims. I don't, I don't know the man, but this is his point. He said, there was a time in my life when all I cared about was Jesus. And I just shared Jesus with people. I just wanted them to know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. And now ministry has robbed me of that. And all I do is preach ministry instead of Jesus. And I don't want to do that anymore. So he leaves, his, he leaves the church. Thousands of people in his church. Now, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't think he's going to leave ministry altogether, he'll probably speak or whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is, this is the stirring of the Holy Spirit in a man's life when he's had a taste of intimacy with God and then things begin to rub away and there begins to be maybe a section of the wall that goes down or there seems to be years where the word of God just didn't have its impact. And then that begins to stir again. It's a beautiful thing. It's the ultimate vision intimacy with our heavenly father so in verse 9 it says this it says oh no on chapter 9 verse um i i need to get some my glasses um i don't know why i carry this tiny bible around I, i they have bigger ones with bigger writing and yet i don't know maybe it's a pride issue or whatever but i'm just like so jesus said hamma kamma i don't know what that says okay all right sorry i God, I digress there. Okay, so uh, chapter 9, verse 5. There it is. That's what I was looking for. Now listen. Stand up and praise the Lord your God. Now listen to this. This is a concept. We, I, I just blow through this kind of stuff. Who is from everlasting to everlasting. Right, that is an attribute of God we can just focus on all day long. That he existed before time. I don't know what he did when there was no time, but he just, with himself, he was able to exist and be perfectly at peace and perfectly powerful and perfectly happy to everlasting. He will never end. This is the God we serve. This is the God that invites us into relationship with him for some crazy reason of his own, for his own glory. It goes, it says, blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. And watch, watch what happens. This is what Ezra, these priests start talking about. They say, you alone are Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens. In other words, you made the heavens, even, I mean, even the heavens, heavens. You made those too. Even the highest heavens and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that's in it, the seas, all that's in them. You give life uh, to everything and the multitudes uh, of heaven worship you. Everything, everything in this earth is God's. Everything. That's the God we serve. 
And then what they do is they just keep going on. They start talking about all the things that God did. And they start with Abraham. And they basically go, man, you, you started with this guy whose wife couldn't even have babies. And you made him a, a father of many nations. And then we rebelled and... We, uh, we went to Egypt by your discipline and Moses came and he got us and he, they, he starts, they start talking all about remembering this great God that took these people because that was not his vision for them and he brought them and he parted the Red Sea and they went through there and then the, the uh, uh, Pharaoh and his army got swallowed up in there and then they, they made a golden calf and this is all goes through. Ne- Nehemiah, they just keep going through. They make a golden calf and God gets upset so they say, okay, you know what? It's 40 years for you, buddy. And so they wander around for 40 years. And, but does God leave them? No. It's a cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And he creates manna for them every single day. And he gives them water. And he makes it so that their sandals and clothes don't wear out. And then he finally brings them into this promised land. And then you start reading this pattern that I think I fall into myself. And I think we all do. Of blessing, rebellion, discipline, redemption. Blessing, rebellion, discipline, redemption. And he just starts going through all these different times. And you're like, will the people of Israel ever learn? I have to ask myself, will I ever learn that I serve this God who loves me, who's worth it all? He's worth everything I have. And why wouldn't I sacrifice more for more intimacy? Not in position, because Christ gave me the position. But in just growing deeper and deeper in him, and deeper and deeper in his word. Why would I let things get in the way of that? The ultimate vision is intimacy. As the worship band returns, I I want you to catch what happens in Nehemiah here. Because it's really important. He, uh, he starts out in chapter 1. I, I want you to really begin to sense um, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the, um, the dire straits that they're in. So in chapter 1, it says, this is, we're going way back. We're doing like one of those you know, flashback. We're going all the way back to chapter 1 when the people come to, it, to Nehemiah when he's um, uh, on the um, uh, when he's a cupbearer. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. So here, here's where they are. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned by fire. Now just take yourself back to where Nehemiah is. We already know what's happened. And so here's what he doesn't know. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. It was like he got punched in the gut and he's just like, this is not right. I know God. I've got a deep, intimate relationship with him. And I know this is not what he has for his people. I've read his word, and, and his word is an indication of what his, it teaches me what his heart is. I know this is in his heart. And so he says, I sat down, and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Now that was in chapter 1. Now watch what happens when, when we begin to live a life of obedience and we begin to take sacrifices, and we begin to have an end in mind of an intimate relationship with Jesus, with our God, who's from everlasting to everlasting, who never fails us. When we begin to focus in on what that is like, watch what happens 11 chapters later. We start with mourning and fasting. We're upset, and then 11 chapters later. 
And on that day, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 43, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. You know how he gave them great joy? Intimacy. Relationship. They read the word. They were moved. They read the law. They were moved by it. They acted upon it. They read the law. They saw their sin. They confessed it. And their relationship with God began to be began to become what it was supposed to become. So God, oh, I'm sorry, go back. God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. That is the vision that God has for your life with intimacy with him, that it would be so real and that you would glorify him so much in your, in your relationship that your life would be loud Glorifying you? No, glorifying God for his glory. 